Now, we're all in the midst of changing plans. Who's ever known a Christmas like it? And it may be that it's going to allow us to identify more deeply with Joseph and Mary this Christmas. Because as they found no room at the inn, everything in their lives required improvisation. No plan was guaranteed for them. And yet God was about something that he had planned for in eternity. Jesus' birth in Bethlehem was predicted 700 years before it happened in the book of Micah. Every detail of how it was to happen, every apparently improvised element in the human held in the mind of God. And so in a world of shifting shadows and much uncertainty for us, I want to bring you again God's unchanging plan for us at Christmas. Now our media headlines are rightly dominated at the moment by hunger stories. And just this week, Meghan Markle spoke of the way that communities have responded to food needs in their midst. She praised the power of the human spirit. And we rejoice in the 75 hampers which have gone out from this church this week to vulnerable families in the city of Oxford. They're, of course, a drop in the ocean, but they still really matter. But what about the other hunger pangs that our world has felt this year? The ones that food hampers don't satisfy. Our spiritual longings for meaning, security, purpose, intimacy. To know that we're loved and valued, that we have significance. That we're not just born to be prey to some virus. Headlines have frequently talked of 2020 as a year swallowed up by pandemic. And the number of people swallowed up by death from this virus totals almost 1.7 million. One iconic image of this year came in April with that drone footage of workers in hazmat outfits on Hart Island, New York, burying wooden coffin-shaped boxes in trenches. The COVID victims who'd had no next of kin, no money for a proper funeral. Heartbreaking. And this is not a situation in which the power of the human spirit can go very far or offer very much comfort. The weight of physical death and spiritual death is just too strong. The fact is, is that our spiritual hunger for meaning, love, and to see beyond death is ultimately a hunger for God. And it can only be satisfied by God. The plucky human spirit has its limits. And at Christmas, God acts to satisfy our deepest hunger. And his answer lies in another box. Not one born for the earth, but one bearing new life. Just like the, the incubators and the cots 
and the Moses baskets and the cribs that newborns have been laying in this last year? What was the container that God chose for the one who came to rescue us at Christmas? Because if God is real, if God wants to be in a personal relationship with each one of us, and if he wants to fulfill the deepest longings of our heart, then there's going to be something vital in the messaging about how he comes. And that box was, of course, a manger. And I say box because the feeding trough that Jesus was laid in was likely a stone box. We've made it a wooden version in a stable. But Kenneth Bailey, who's a biblical expert in Middle Eastern culture, says it was almost certainly a stone trough. One in a cave outside Bethlehem, perhaps, or more likely, set in the floor of a one-room peasant home. Typically, families brought their animals in at night, in the dark, and they would feed at night from that trough. What do we learn about the manger from Luke's account? Well, it's mentioned three times, which is always God's underlining in Hebrew culture. It's the only bed on which Jesus is ever described laying his head in the whole of his earthly ministry. So we know its meaning is important. And the angel declares that the shepherds will find a long-awaited Messiah. He literally says, the deliverer, the anointed one, the Lord, lying in a food trough, a king in a slops bucket. So the first meaning of the manger is that God meets us in the mess, in the mess of a pandemic Christmas, amid our winter blues. We don't have to be cleaned up to come to him. He meets us in the pig's will, not just in the peaks of life, but in the troughs. And at the same time, his impact on our lives is entirely transformative. Because Bethlehem in Hebrew means house of bread. And then Jesus in his adult life in John 6 calls himself the bread of life. So the bread of life is born in the house of bread. And if this is true, it tells us that at Christmas, God lays a meal for us. God comes as food for us. A meal that God planned for us from before the beginning of creation. No wonder that when the angel says that word manger to the shepherds, it's it's the theatrical cue for a host of heavenly angels to appear and to burst out into song. No wonder. Into a setting entirely improvised from a human point of view, an exhausted couple having to use a food trough for a crib, just like we're having to improvise our own lives at the moment in response to this virus, God places something, someone of ultimate importance into this world, his son. And we're invited 
to feast on him. Why is an ancient food trough relevant to my life and your life? Well, Jesus' claim in John chapter 6 is that no other food source in life can finally satisfy. The choice he lays out is between food that spoils and food that endures to eternal life. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the white witch offers Edmund Turkish delight. And it looks delicious, and it's temporarily delightful. And it leaves him craving. At last, the Turkish delight was all finished, and Edmund was looking very hard at the empty box and wishing that she would ask him whether he would like some more. This is the box that we clean out with our immediate hunger. Its contents leave us addicted and it bears diminishing returns. I know this empty box. For me, it was the empty box of success and prestige and personal advancement and personal pleasure that I pursued for 20 years before I came to Christ. And I ended up just where Edmund does. I say, said Lucy, you do look awful, Edmund. Don't you feel very well? I'm all right, said Edmund, but this was not true. He was feeling very sick. And this is where Israel finds itself in the Old Testament. God says the ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel doesn't know. My people don't understand. Israel grew soul sick. I grew soul sick. We can reject God's food because of sheer pig-headedness or because the Turkish delight of the world has seduced us. We can also reject it because we're clinging to a failed dream or a past disappointment. Do you remember Miss Havisham, the jilted bride in Charles Dickens' Great Expectations? A huge wedding cake sits on her dining table. Only it's now just black fungus shrouded in cobwebs and speckle-legged spiders run to and fro from it as their home. It's a great cake, a bride cake, mine, she says. It's a ghost meal. Some of us are living in the dreams and the ruins of longings that have just failed. They're gone, and we've settled in that place. And like Miss Havisham, we're growing spiritually thinner every day. And to us, Jesus says, come and eat of me, of my fresh bread. Not the bread the world offers, because the world's bread cannot ultimately satisfy us, and it certainly cannot save us. What is the saving power of the bread of life? In the Old Testament, we read of that box called the Ark of the Covenant, and it points back to the time that God delivered his people from captivity in Egypt. And on the night of that exodus, there was a Passover meal and a Passover lamb was sacrificed. And then, 
on the night of the Last Supper, just before his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus recalls that Passover meal. And he tells his disciples to remember him through a meal of broken bread and poured out wine. Our world is remarkable in so many ways, but it's also broken. And at Christmas, Jesus comes, the bread of life who'll give himself to be broken for our broken world. To become the great meal offering, the Lamb of God, come to take away the sin of the world, the feast offered for us on Calvary. How can this be through death? Doesn't Jesus die rotting? No. As we know from a witness, another box, the stone box of his empty tomb. And Luke in his gospel tells us that Mary wraps the baby Jesus in cloths, swaddling cloths. And then at the end of Luke's gospel, on Easter morning, Peter looks into the tomb and sees the grave cloths that have shrouded Jesus' body lying by themselves. And Luke's point is this. When Jesus rises on Easter morning, he's the manna that does not decay, the bread that endures, the food that never spoils. I lift the lid off a container in the back of our fridge and the precious delicacy from a month ago that has got squashed behind other food now looks like Miss Havisham's wedding cake. But Jesus offers food that goes past any sell-by date and that endures to eternity. He's the food that purchases our redemption and that brings us eternal life. And this is why we feast at Christmas. This is what we celebrate. Did you know that mince pies were originally oblong to look like the manger? And inside there'd be a little pastry baby. And tradition has it that if you ate a mince pie on each of the 12 days of Christmas, you would know 12 days of joy. And that was really the whole point of the Christmas feast, that the enjoyment that you built up was be so strong that it would last right through for another year. And then beyond this life, the Bible tells us that in eternity, God will hold a banquet for all the nations. And what will be on the menu? Isaiah the prophet says, plenty of meat and aged wine, tender meat and choicest wine. This is the Christmas feast of Christmas feasts that is to come. All nations, all peoples. Now thousands of paintings down the ages have depicted Mary with the infant Jesus in her arms. But he's never described there in Luke's nativity account. Only in the feeding trough, food for all, available to all. No one is jilted at God's altar, no one. And this meal doesn't have to be worked for or striven for. 
Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. God offers it as pure gift. So in a few days, our tables will be laid for our Christmas dinners. At the manger, God's table is laid. And we're invited to the feast of feasts. God's feast. God's love feast. How do we feast on Jesus? Well, you don't satisfy a groaning stomach by reading a cookbook or by hearing a talk. You come to the table and dine. And remember, that stone trough in the peasant house was set into the floor. You have to bow your head and stoop to eat. Because the king that came down from heaven that first Christmas came and laid low. And we come low to him. And then Jesus says we need to believe in the one God has sent. He who believes has everlasting life. It needs to be a personal believing and it needs to be a daily feeding. I came to a Christmas service just like this some 20 years ago. I didn't have a faith. And I went on Christmas Eve, simply felt drawn there in the moment. And I heard a word of God preached, which just did something inside me. Something twisted and turned. And when I left that service, I just felt I had to start going to church. And I did that. I did that for 18 months, going to a church in central London. Didn't understand a bit of it. Didn't know what was going on. But every Sunday, the Lord drew me there. And then I heard one night about a course called Alpha, the course that Emily talked about earlier. And I took that course in order to be able to ask awkward questions and to challenge the Christians who were putting it on. And I came to Christ. I had a revelation of the truth of the Lord Jesus. And I've never regretted turning away from the food that spoils before I came to Christ, I was like the prodigal son, frankly. I couldn't even get to the pig swill in the manger. But when I turned and came home, the father hugged me tight. And he can hug you today. He's not limited by social distancing. And remember, he orders a fatted calf to be slain for the party that he goes on to throw for his son. The bread broken... The lamb slain who takes away the sin of the world. Satisfaction for our sin, consolation for us in our suffering, even in a time of pandemic. And for those of us here who just feel caught today in the shadow of death, just listen to this astonishing picture from the book of Isaiah where at that final banquet we're told God, quote, will swallow up the shroud that is over all the peoples. He will swallow up death permanently. All coronavirus death, all spiritual death, 
swallowed up by our Father forever. His feast and the faithful dead will rise to life. And Jesus really is the bread of life. This is why rugby stands resound again and again as sturdy Welshmen sing, Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. The Victorian poet Robert Browning said, If thou tastest a crust of bread, thou tastest all the stars and all the heavens. And it begins at the manger. So come and feed, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and glorify Jesus. He's the host of the banquet. He's the feast spread out before you. He's the one who gives himself away at Christmas. Amen.